Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Hey, Lulu here. Whether we are romping through science, music, politics, technology, or feelings, we seek to leave you seeing the world anew. Radiolab adventures right on the edge of what we think we know. Wherever you get podcasts. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Tuesday, September 12th. As we welcome our next guest, Naomi Klein, I wonder how many of you have her mixed up with the other Naomi, Naomi Wolf. Klein is the author of books like The Shock Doctrine about disaster capitalism and This Changes Everything about the climate emergency, and she's been outspoken in her support of policies like the Green New Deal. Naomi Wolf, as Klein describes, has become, quote, one of the most effective creators and disseminators of misinformation and disinformation about many of our most urgent crises, unquote. But Klein has so regularly been confused for Wolf, once known as a leading feminist author, now more known as a regular on Steve Bannon's podcast, that Klein used this experience of having a doppelganger as a premise for her new book out today that she hopes will form a guide into what she deems our doppelganger culture, a culture in which we have come to think of ourselves as personal brands forging a partitioned identity that is both us and not us, unquote. So important amid the social media echo chamber and the proliferation of dangerous conspiracy theories, deep thinking and self-reflection to boot in this new book called Doppelganger, A Trip into the Mirror World. And Naomi Klein joins me now. Always good to have you on the show. Welcome back to WNYC. Thank you so much, Brian. It's great to speak with you again. And you open the book with the line, in my defense, it was never my intent to write this book. So why'd you write it? <laughs> yes, it's um, it then goes on. I did not have time. No one asked me to. And many people cautioned against it. Um, this is certainly not the type of book I think that readers expect from me, um, or at least on the surface, uh, it would seem not to be. Um, it's 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 a more creative project. It's it's a more experimental book, um, but it does wrestle with some familiar f- familiar themes. Um, uh, it really, what aren't we looking at when we are looking in this hall of mirrors of the self? So I used the experience of having a doppelganger, of having somebody who I've been perennially confused and conflated with uh, for about 15 years now as really a literary device. The book is certainly not about her in any conventional sense. She's a case, an interesting case study of a type of person who has changed quite dramatically, particularly during the COVID years. I think we all know people uh, uh, who have, quote unquote, fallen down the rabbit hole. Um, so it does look at her as a case study, but more than that, she's she's kind of like the white rabbit in Alice in Wonderland leading me down the rabbit hole. And the book is really about that rabbit hole and, and who else I meet down there, including folks like Steve Bannon and Tucker Carlson, who I think are probably a lot more consequential in terms of redrawing political maps in the U.S. and beyond. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, in brief just there a cultural reference. And, and I think the listeners should know uh, that there are so many um, 
creative cultural world references in here that makes it, you know, such a, a fitting book for you as a public intellectual, worthy book. A few pages in, you borrow from Philip Roth, who once said of one of his own novels, it's too ridiculous to take seriously and too serious to be ridiculous. And you get into the speculative fiction uh, that sometimes employs do doppelgangers, uh, like with Jordan Peele's Us or the fiction of Ursula Le Guin. So what, what do doppelgangers represent in our broader culture before we get into some of the politics and ideas of who we are as a culture right now? Sure. Doppelgangers, I mean, they, they, they are ancient, um, you know, back to, to mythology. Um, and often it is the mirror, right? If we think about narcissist falling in love with his own reflection, the double is a way of wrestling with ego, is a way of wrestling with the partitioned self. Um, but in more modern art uh, um, and it, you know, in the history of, of modern literature, thinking of, of works like Dostoevsky's The Double, Edgar Allan Poe's William Wilson, um, and the more modern works that you mentioned, um, doppelgangers are ominous. I mean, they're often a warning that something is needs our attention. Uh, um, you know, they, they, they're foreboding. They can often foretell one's own death. Um, I chose to see the fact that I have a doppelganger as, as a message that there was something I needed to pay attention to. Uh, and I, I used it as a way to understand myself better, to understand, uh, I think this uncanny moment in history better. Uh, I really found it a useful tool to reckon with our extremely polarized political discourse where there is a mirroring on the, each side of the political divide and where once an issue becomes, uh, it starts to get traction on the conspiratorial rights, uh, um, it then becomes sort of untouchable in polite liberal discourse. Uh, so we, we could think about something like the lab leak theory and how that was sort of seen as a, as a wild conspiracy or treated that way and, and didn't get uh, serious, serious journalistic attention for a long while, just because it was associated with a certain side of the political spectrum. So I think that there's a way that we have started to mirror and mimic each other across the political divide that can be can can really shut down important discourse. But there's also a way that folks like Steve Bannon are really, really good at appropriating and warping issues that are traditional issues for the left, like being opposed to big pharma and big tech and mixing and matching them with xenophobia and transphobia in really dangerous ways. So yeah, the book is sort of a map of what I call the doubled self, and that's the self that can't stop looking into its reflection. And then the mirror world, which is the us and them, yin and yang discourse, where we're just reacting to each other. And then the shadow lands, which is what I think, um, you know, these are the difficult truths that I think no, none of us are really reckoning with directly. I mean, we've just come off your 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 reports on the climate crisis, and I would say neither neither left nor right uh, is is really reckoning with the weight of our moment. So this is kind of a conspiracy acts as a sort of distraction machine. Mike in Brooklyn, you're on WNYC with Naomi Naomi Klein. Her new book is Doppelganger: A Trip into the Mirror World. Hi, Mike. You're on the air. Hi, Brian. Um, um, thanks. Uh, it's great to talk to you. Um, Ms. Klein at No Logo was uh, a profound um, experience to read back in the early aughts. Um, I, I'm 
I would love to hear you maybe flesh out a bit what you mean by sort of the left mirroring the right in the sense of not getting a full grasp on, I think you termed it not getting, you know, not really fully taking in what the climate crisis means. To my mind, at, at least on the left, and there, as you know, a couple of many lefts, um, mm-hmm. one that thinks that sort of New Deal, you know, maybe the Green New Deal or state capitalism, social democracy, whatever you want to call it, could actually stave off the climate crisis within capitalism. And then there's parts mm-hmm. of the left that think, well, no, and as long as we have, you know, value production and commodities and all these contradictions that flow from capitalism, we're not getting out. Um, mm-hmm. So could you just kind of uh, talk a bit more about how there's a, a mirroring of the right uh, in that respect? Thanks. Yeah, Thank thanks, Mike. Mike. <laughs> yes, that's such a good question. It's a profound question. And and um, I think there are different levels and gradations of denial because we are living in a time when many of the systems that we all grew up inside that are the air we breathe are 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 crumbling around us and one of those systems is the idea of infinite growth on a finite planet and and the idea that we can continue to lead these high consumption lifestyles um and uh and 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 not have to change now on the sort of denialist right the de- it's very easy to identify the denial because they're saying climate change isn't happening um you know it's all a conspiracy or maybe if it's happening but it's plant food and it's all good i mean we've heard the theories <laughs> um so we can very clearly name that denialism but i think if we're honest there's also a, a softer uh, a kind of denialism in the idea that we don't really have to fundamentally change um, how we live. And when I'm saying we, I'm talking about we, you know, over consumers in wealthy countries like the U.S. and Canada, where I live. Um, and um, and we can just switch to green energy and 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 conti- continue exactly as we are. Right? We can get electric cars. We can have Impossible Burgers, and we can. Um, and 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 we can have solar panels and all will be well. But the truth is, is that all of this ha- comes at an ecological cost. Um, and the climate crisis isn't the only uh, depletionary crisis that we face. Um, and we are going to have to reckon with enoughness uh, with the idea of, of consuming what we need so that others can have enough to live. And, uh, and, and so, yeah, Mike, I appreciate that question. I think it's at the heart of what I'm trying to get at, which is that it's really easy to point at the other, you know, and in my case, you know, a doppelganger um, who, who, who I, I might want to push away and say is nothing like me. Um, but what I have had to confront is that it isn't only the conspiracists and the fantasists who are not fully reckoning with the weight of our political moment. I think it's hard for all of us. And part of the reason why it's hard is because we try to do it alone and, and we try to address it through our individual consumption. When in truth, this is the work of, this is collective work. This is work that we need to do in movements of other people through large scale policies. And it's really system work. So thank you for that. And and this has been your message or part of your message for a long time, right? You mentioned the, um, the event that I moderated that involved you when your book No Logo came out a long time ago. You may remember another event that I moderated with you on stage, plus Bernie Sanders just before 
he announced that he was going to run as a Democrat for president. Um, you know, back I do 20, remember that. <laughs> 2014, 2015, Chris Hedges was on that panel. Um, as I recall, you were talking about a very similar thing with respect to how people who consider themselves liberals, and I remember you being very critical of, of both Clintons uh, at that time, uh, need to take a deeper look at the things that through their assumptions, they're, they're really allowing to progress uh, on the downsides of capitalism, uh, even though they're presenting themselves as to the left of the Republicans. So this is, this is an, a kind of a perennial Naomi Klein message, right? <laughs> well, look, I think they are, they are to the left of where the Republicans are now. But the issue is just that it's simply, A, not good enough, uh, especially when it comes to the climate crisis, because, you know, we don't get A's for effort. <laughs> you know, we, we really do... Um, need to get 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 it done we need to actually lower our emissions in line with what climate scientists are telling us you just reported on the fact that we are blowing the commitments made under the paris agreement and that agreement was not that all that aggressive uh, you know there was there were i was there there were huge fights about how we needed a, a, um we needed a more aggressive te temperature uh, target right mm -hmm. 1.5 instead of two degrees um, but it was always voluntary. And that was always the problem. It was always within this framework of we're going to leave it to the market, we'll, we'll set up some incentives, but we're not actually going to regulate this. And this is, yes, this has been the work of, of my life is looking at the clash between an ideology that wants to leave everything to the market, um, that has sought to privatize and deregulate and have a very um, uh, austere social sphere. And that that is not compatible with the kinds of crises we face. I think that's true of the climate crisis, but we've also had a, a, had a, a really vivid example of it with COVID, where where radically underfunded hospitals were were you know were unable to deal with with a shock on this scale, and people died as a result. And I think Brian in the Bronx is going to continue on this thread. Brian, you're on WNYC. Hello. Oh, hello. Um, can you hear me okay? Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so I'm a big fan, um, Ms. Klein. Uh, very exciting to talk to you. And I guess, yeah, on this thread that I think the problem is that both the Republican and Democratic parties are committed to, to neoliberalism, which you were just talking about or around a little bit. And, and I wonder if you could take us into that a little bit. And, and because, like, for the, on the left... We don't we we think that them Dems and Republicans are too much the same. And then there are some people who Brian might be one of them who that drive crazy because they think there's such a vast difference between the Republican and Democratic Party. But when you focus when I focus on the economics, I see the patterns that you're talking about, deregulation, austerity, um, market, market, market. So uh, could you talk about that? Is that clear? Brian, th thanks very much. And I wonder if you could put your views of Joe Biden into that answer. Sure. Um, so I suppose I get a little bit nervous with a t with with a total equivalence between the two parties. I I, I definitely see commonalities around economic policy. Um, you know, I've come up in movements that have um, been all about opposing the policies that are genuinely bipartisan, like the, the neoliberal quote unquote consensus around privatization and deregulation. 
and, and cuts to social spending. What I would say is that, but, you know, that said, I think we are in a excruciatingly dangerous political moment, not just in the U.S. I think if you look around the world at people like uh, Orban in Hungary, um, Giorgia Malone in Italy, the it- Italy's um, first female prime minister uh, is the leader of a party called Fratelli d'Italia, which is a party with deep fascist roots going back to Mussolini. Um, if you look at... Um, uh, how close Marine Le Pen is getting to power in France. Um, if you look at the forces behind Jair, Jair Bolsonaro in um, in Brazil, if you look at Marcos's retur- son's return in the Philippines, it's important not to just see this with, as a U.S. phenomenon. There is authoritarianism and neo-fascism surging around the world. And I don't think that um, it is in any way accurate to say that they are the same as these centrist neoliberal parties. I think what is accurate is to say that centrist neoliberalism has created the context in which neo-fascism and authoritarianism is able to peddle its very, very dangerous pseudo-responses. So I do believe that we must stop this surge. And I believe it is possible to do if you look at Brazil and you look at at Lula's victory and the fact that there are indigenous eco-feminists in cabinet um, and that the that, you know there's important progress being made in the Amazon, um, I think there's a difference. Um, I think it does matter that, that that we stand up to these forces. I think Trump um, uh, represents those forces, as does Bannon, as do other parts of the Republican Party and the Republican Party, frankly, as a whole at this point, which is a Trumpist party. So what do we do with that? Because Biden is the candidate. Um, wh- what I would say is that um, if if we don't like these policies, and if you are on the left, which clearly you are, Brian, um, you know we have our, our work cut out for us in terms of building real left power outside of electoral politics right now, because um, that that's what we have on offer. You know, I was part of Bernie's campaign um, uh, in 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 2020. I went to five states with him. We fought like hell. I was devastated when Bernie lost, but I also told people to vote for Biden um, because. I think Trump is a real threat. And I realize this is going to be dismissed by some as just um, the same old, same old. But I think that is a misreading of our political moment. I think what we can see with Biden to answer um, answer mm-hmm. answer mm-hmm. the other My Brian's question, question. Yes. <laughs> two Brian's, okay, um, is... Um, is is Biden that we the Biden that we have seen in office is is not actually the Biden that I expected based on who he was throughout much of his career who was you know a, a quite staunchly ne- neoliberal politician I think that what we've seen is that he is is uh receptive to pressure from an organized left and the left was more organized and more powerful when he entered office than he is right now, because there's been a period of um, demoralization uh, since the high points of the racial justice uprisings in the sun- in the summer of 2020, and pushing for a Green New Deal in the early days of the of the Biden administration. And I think that we've been a little bit um, kind of licking our wounds and regrouping uh, more recently. But I think we need, but there's also evidence of a resurgent labor movement across the country. Um, there's been incredible organizing around student debt and medical debt. And th- these are the building bro- blocks of the kind of pressure that I think is going to to, to be needed to get more right. from 
a next Biden administration and to keep the fascists out. Naomi Klein's new book is called Doppelganger, A Trip into the Mirror World. And listeners, if you want to see and hear more of her, Naomi Klein will be appearing at 7 o'clock tonight at the central branch of the Brooklyn Public Library's Dweck Center, where she'll be in conversation uh, with Kianga Yamada-Taylor. Listeners can register for the event at the Brooklyn Public Library's website, Brooklyn Library. Uh, B-K-L-Y-N library.org That's for Naomi Klein, not Naomi Wolf 7 o'clock tonight at the Brooklyn Library um, Dweck Center Central Branch Naomi, always good to have you on the show Thank you very much Thank you, Brian, take care Brian Lehrer, a daily politics podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.